another day in the office, another fight that happened uh, with the fans of some teams. Oh, it's, it's the story. Do, do, we, do we want to start with that or are we going to start on a You want to start from the hard note? part, right? From the hard part. You have to rip the bandaid, I guess. I don't know, man. For me, it's really sad because basically if you take almost half of the top leagues we have in Europe, in every domestic uh, championship, we had some really shameful incidents, Start starting from... You mean with the fans? With the fans, including fans and players, or everything what has happened outside the basketball court, mm. which the game should be all about, right? And, you know, you have this incident in Milan with fan provoking this uh, shameful fuss between Virtus uh, players and, and Milan fan. Then there was, I would say, overlooked incidents in the Israeli championship. Mm. Uh, with fans spitting on players. And hitting the head of, uh, I think, one player. I think on Waco. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it on was him. on Waco. At first. Hitting his head or shoulder or whatever that was. Probably, probably. At least having this uh, physical, you know, mm. contact with the player. Completely, then, uh, completely unnecessary. The, the players were just going out from the tunnel yeah. and entering the court. And uh, I mean, why would one do that, first of all? <laughs> but just, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you that it was a bit uh, overlooked, you know, in terms of the media recognition it got yeah. in Europe. But it's, it's not just about the media. Media shouldn't solve those issues, right? For no. instance, you, you you mentioned unnecessary things, players coming out of the tunnel. <laughs> How could you explain what happened in Serbia? You know, I, I didn't follow the series from the start, but for me, it's it you know, it was enough to tune in for game three. The game is already delayed for like half an hour as our uh, Serbian beat writer Mendogas Bertis uh, warned before the game already. Uh, and, you know, initially there are a lot of things thrown on the court when Partizan players uh, made their entrance. There was a glass bottle, glass bottle <laughs> thrown into the players. Wow. Uh, probably didn't hit anybody because probably... We would have heard about it. Yeah, that's true. But at least there was a clear picture of this glass bottle. And I think that Danilo and you should try to get it before somebody from the security took it. Uh, because it's important for the table officials, uh, I believe. Uh, then we have Fan almost throwing chair, and, or at least threatening to throw a chair into the player. I think it was James Nunnally or, or anybody else. James Nunnally, again, having some crazy... Uh, situation with the fan, it's a lot of unnecessary things, unexplainable things, and I mean, you someone know, was trying to throw a chair to yeah. the court. Someone tried to do Nenad Kristic, <laughs> and I mean, it's crazy. And the thing is that we had the same conversation last year, right? And we have the same conversation every year. The game, the final game of the Greek uh, Championship. The it Inter was interrupted in the interrupted and you know the game was basically cancelled. So I mean we have and you this and you decided champ I mean I knew I know it was already decided by the because of the score, but you finish your league uh, on an on a cancelled game. Yeah. Uh and you know the problem is that nobody cares about that. I mean clubs 
domestic leagues because it's it's just crazy to think how we're enjoying this amazing Red Star and Partizan derby in the EuroLeague, even with the away fans coming to, let's say, Partizan mm -hmm. or Red Star home court, celebrating the win and no, nothing happens, right? <laughs> then somehow we turn the situation into throwing glass bottles or even chairs at the players. How how the situation can turn into this way? And for me, it says that somehow in your league they take take care of these things, and in the domestic league we have huge issues. And since I think that clubs and as we see domestic leagues, Abba league or Greek league doesn't matter. They are not they cannot or they they're not controlling the situation uh, for many years already. And that's why I think that FIBA should step in somehow. I mean. FIBA should step in as a main authority of international basketball. They should step in to protect the game, right? To protect the players. You know, FIBA is like a, we all are kind of a big, uh, under the big umbrella of FIBA. So I think if nobody cares, FIBA should do something about it, right? Just to help the the game. Because what what message this, this these things, uh, you know, send about our game? Bastian Nagbar wrote on Twitter, I think, uh perfect a perfect message he he wrote are we even aware what is going on in many leagues around europe how can we expect the game to grow or attract new audiences if there are incidents happening at playoff games almost on a daily basis in general basketball cult culture has improved but it has a long way to go and you were incredibly right by saying that you know you you said you know we have these Belgrade derbies in Euroleague and they are all okay and then all of a sudden you go to domestic leagues and every year the the story is the same but it's not only in Serbia you know we yeah, see yeah, exactly we see that in Euroleague every derby every domestic derby that happens is somehow you know in a there is some culture you know between the fans and the players there are there are some incidents uh, you know as the um, let's say the stakes get higher for example in the quarterfinal monaco monaco maccabi series and, and 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 others but in general you know in the regular season and it doesn't really happen in in, in every game like we maybe had a, a one or two podcasts where we said you know oh this shouldn't happen between the players and the fans during the all all of the season and then all of a sudden the domestic league finals start and you could have this conversation basically every three days because yeah. there is a league, a final where, where you know, Israeli, Greek, uh, Serbia, uh, Italy, Spain. We are, <laughs> I think Spain was probably the, the cleanest one and they have the best basketball quality. So, you know, we should do something not we but you know the leagues or maybe even FIBA should should do something to have this basketball culture because we should be talking more about the games and not just what happened around the court mm -hmm. and now you have basically stories about finals being the fights and not the player performances or not the defense Servanes Vesda played yesterday or not the partisan offense that they played in the first two games so I don't know. It's just uh, it's it's sad that uh, this is in the first picture, and we can't really and the, and we can't really put, protect the players. Yeah. Okay. Maybe let's start talking about basketball. By the way, this is the, the Urbonus podcast with Augusto Schlauskas and Donato Urbonus. We will cover some of the domestic leagues finale 
Mm-hmm. Some teams clinched uh, the championships. We have fascinating series in ABA League, in ACB, also even Italian League, which we won't even discuss because of we are kind of short of time and we will for sure delay this discussion later uh, in the future podcasts. Uh, there are some rumors to address. Of course, a big change in the EuroLeague with the new CEO, Paulus mm-hmm. Motiunas. Uh, so a lot of things to talk about, but as you already mentioned, uh, Red Star Partisan. Game free. Game free, except um, from the all the incidents that happened. Uh, the game also was very interesting. A lot of interesting things uh, to take from it, right? And you all, I already saw you tweeted about Red Star playing super aggressive defense, which turned into you know a game changer for them to 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 stay alive in the series, right? You know, it was before the series. You could you could uh, understand that this series is going to be about is it either more of Partizan's offense, which was number one in the Euroleague all season, or is it more about Zvezda's defense? You know, which one will prevail, which one will come out on top? Partizan did that in the first two games, and uh, now with the you know with the home court advantage. And uh, with basically a do-or-die situation for Zvezda, it was, you know, they had to set the rhythm from the beginning, from early. They had to set that tone defensively. And uh, they don't have anywhere to run. They don't have anywhere to hide. They have to do this if they want to continue the series, if they want to force a game five. And you could see from the beginning, especially, you know, that home court advantage plus that aggressive defense was the recipe right from the very first moments. you could see in the beginning, you could see that home court advantage working like Zach Lede missing two free throws because of the all the noise. Uh, you could see James Nunnally losing the ball because of because of the atmosphere and the defense while just simply dribbling the ball. And, you know, looking at the whole game, mm, the turnover count is the biggest difference here. Uh, Partizan uh, committed 17 turnovers while Zvezda had only six. Uh, Zvezda also had seven offensive rebounds while Partizan had only three. And this resulted in a field goal attempt advantage 62 to 46. Zvezda had 16 more shots from the court. It's hard not to win when, you, when you're shooting uh, basically 25% more shots than your opponent. And uh, to me, you know, I wouldn't single out it wouldn't be fair to say that only one person, mm. you know, did all the job from the defensive standpoint from Zvezda because it was, you know, Branko Lazic, aggressive on punter, Vildoza, Campazzo, every, everyone helped because it was a team effort. But first, I would, like, I would love to mention Luca Vildoza. Like usually, usually this guy is a, like a wild card because he is just all over defense. He He likes to risk, he likes to... You know, be in that middle position because he wants to get that steal and go in for, for a transition. But in this game, his good episodes doing this were much more, uh, you know, impactful than the bad episodes he had. And what I mean by this is you have another player playing really aggressive defense. And, uh, you know, he maybe does not see what is happening around him because there is such an aggressive defense. And then Luca Vildoza comes out of nowhere trying to steal the ball and maybe, you know, Matthias Lassar travels. He steals the ball from behind. He had like three or four episodes like this and it resulted in turnovers. While I remember only one episode where he like, um, there was a pick and pop situation. Zach Lidi was popping out to the three-point line. Vildoza sees that he's popping out, the pass probably going to him. He is, he is already here trying to steal the ball, going go for a layup. 
but but his guy Yamadar is completely alone under the basket. And you know, Partizan evaluated the situation well. It's a easy layup for a Madar. And Facundo Compasso is like, man, what the hell are you doing? Like, why are you leaving the guy under the basket? But this was the only bad episode from Vildoza and those good episodes from him were just forced, I don't know, like four or five turnovers. So uh, this was not only about him, but this time, you know, his wild defense and uh, was really beneficial in my eyes. I was really impressed how Branko Lazic made Kevin Punter a host of uh, ghost of himself. Mm. I mean, in, in the second half, uh, I think that Kevin Punter in the first 16 minutes of the second half, uh, he made only one field goal attempt and it was a very heavily contested mid-ranger uh, over Branko yeah, I Lazic. remember that one. Well, it was tough, a very tough, tough shot. shot. The second field goal he had was a nine meter three-pointer because I mean, Facing Branko, uh, basically Lazic made him a, uh, you know, fan from the courtside seats, or let's say fan fan from the on-court seats somehow, because mm. Lazic, Lazic was all, always on him. He didn't let him to allow the, to accept the ball easily, first of all. Maybe first of all, not even to take the ball in his hands, then made it very complicated. And in situations where he, Kevin was kind of trying to start to play ISO. Usually, as well, the defense was dropping a double team defense. So he was, mm. you know, they forced him to pass the ball all the time. And in some situations, I really missed Kevin Punter. I mean, Partizan trying to get Kevin Punter more involved. Maybe it was possible. I mean, I always prefer finding Kevin Punter instead of Smilagic doing this Dirk Nowitzki kind of move. Mm in a situation where you can still, you know, uh, uh, try to win that game. But, I mean, the job they did was, and starting from Lazic, even though he got quite early third foul in the beginning of the third quarter, I mean, it they, was remarkable. He was so aggressive, you could not even, you know, call that foul. I mean, yeah, Zvezda were so aggressive, you could, if the refs were a bit more stricter, you know, uh, if he, but if, let's say, if they called fouls like they usually do in a regular season game, Zvezda would have fouled out. Mm-hmm. But you know, finals, the playoffs are about this yeah, intensive defense. You know, team, you yeah. can you up the level of intensity, and uh, the refs allow more. That's normal. You know, part partisan fans should not be upset upset about this. They should expect their players to you know uh, make their their defense to adjust and to play the same kind of in- intensive defense uh, Lazic was outstanding uh, maybe Partizan tried to involve punter more but I was just what I saw on the pick and roll they were basically going two people on Kevin punter like mm-hmm. he was not able to do anything because two guys are on him and the guy from the weak side, is coming to take the, the the roller, but the guy from the weak side is already standing on the on the free throw line, even before the, like just as pick and roll happens. Like Kevin Punter has this long skip pass, but th- there are two guys on him. The pass is really hard. But how early Zvezda sent that uh, weak side help uh, to the roller? There was not, not like short roll possibility wasn't even there. So Punter's uh, options were so limited, and that's why he had like. 10 shots, I think, and most of Seven them- from free, yeah. And most of them were three-pointers and really forced uh, forced tries. So 
incredible, incredible defense on punter. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, transition, I think, was a big key for Zvezda, but that's normal when you have so yeah. many, so many forced turnovers. Uh, I think it was 11 points in transition for Zvezda, only five for Partizan. Uh, Partizan players were kind of trying to go for steals in transition. That was kind of weird. They weren't uh, smart enough to, you know, to clinch the series, especially in the end of the third quarter. A lot of uh, stupid fouls in bonus situations that costed him a lot of easy points. Uh, and the in the in the fourth quarter as well, uh, defensively it didn't look like they were playing until the last action of the possession. You know, trying to get a foul call from the referee on the mm -hmm. offense or defensively. Uh, I I just saw Zvezda being more determined to win that game, and uh, they adjusted to the referees uh, the way they allowed uh, the level of contact they allowed. They adjusted it better than Partizan. So mm. I'm expecting big adjustments from Partizan uh, for the game four. And I think we have to give uh, credit to Vildoza's two three-pointers oh, yeah. in the fourth quarter. Uh, basically just, you know, facing up the defender and just, okay, you're defending me like this, I'm going to knock down a three-pointer from seven and a half meters and with the, with the hand in the face. Uh, and, you know, we haven't mentioned him until now, but Neman Janedovic was the guy in this game for, in offense. Um, basically, in the fourth quarter, I think he scored, what, like 10, 10 points? Mm. I don't have the exact number, but... But 19 in overall. But ni 19 overall, he basically, um, you know, scored all the points in the first and the fourth quarter. One-on-one, um, -on -one, unstoppable shots... Uh, pull up drip, uh, pull up uh, jump shots. Just has all the moves. Uh, that burst of speed in this game worked perfectly, and uh, basically showed that you know, in this game, uh, nobody could nobody could stop him. Like mm. doesn't matter who was in front of him, he was he was just better. And uh, you know, just like Zvezda adjusted maybe against Kevin Punter. I if if I was if I'm if I'm Nedovic, I would expect similar type of more aggressive defense against myself in the in, in game four. So but he was he was the guy in this game and basically won them the game uh by his offense. Luka Mitrovic was doing Luka Mitrovic things, sixteen points, seven rebounds, uh free offensively. Uh, as Some much as 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 part, a whole partisan team, three assists, amazing game uh, game by him, and as you mentioned, a lot of different pieces that made this winning puzzle mm. for for Resdar. But at the same time, knowing that Jelko is in charge over there, we can expect for some adjustments. And I expect a more close game in uh, in game four. I think it will be. I think Partizan will make uh, some adjustments, will be a bit more concentrated on defense and and uh, I expect a close game to, you know, they they don't want this to go to, to, to five games. So uh, it should be a great one. Speaking of adjustments, Real Madrid is down against Barca 0-2. But it's it it sounds like we heard this scenario already, yeah, right? Where did we hear this story, right? Yes, and and, and the history says that sixteen of sixteen finals where the winning the leading team was up by you know two and zero, they won the series. 
Mm. It's also something we kind of heard before, right? No team has come back from two down, two zero deficit yeah. in the Euroleague quarterfinals. I was expecting Sergio Yui to make a move. To be honest, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Well, he end, was close. He was trying. He was he really was close. Trying. The difference was that this time Sharas understood if Mustafa Fall cannot, you know, block the shot. Let's throw two guys on Sergei Yui, which yeah. worked perfectly. You have one of the tallest point guards, Satoransky, and then you have Mir Mirotic, who was already—he knew already. Mm. I'm not going to chase Vincent Poirier and him making the screen. Mm. I don't care about that side of, of of the play. I'm just going at Sergei Yui, and together we will try to contest that shot, and which you know worked worked perfectly. So kudos to Miro and probably Sharas, mm. who who knew it from the beginning. Um, probably everyone knew it. I mean, yeah. that says who is going to take a shot. Uh, I was talking with uh, uh, with a friend with a friend after this game, and he was like, "Did just Mateo like did not draw anything up in the in the last possession? Like it was this a complete improvisation?" I was like, "I I rewinded the play. There was Vincent Poirier trying to set a screen for Hezonia, but I think Sergio Yui with the way he played in this game, he had some crazy shots in the fourth quarter." Again, crazy shots, crazy shots to us, not crazy shots to Sergio Yui because that three pointer in transition won against contested by Mirotic, won against everybody, and he just rainbows it. And then where there was this dagger with uh, one fifteen to play, the you can't call it you can't call it dagger. They lose, yeah, they okay. lost. Yeah, but this this great it 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 should have been the dagger for Madrid. True. Uh, because they were down. I mean, Barca was down by six with less than two minutes to play. They pulled out a huge mm. victory in the series. So I was like, after you make shots like this, yeah. you probably just, you know, you get the ball Excuse and nice. you try to make a play in the beginning like we have seen so many times. Uh, but Barca played really good defense on that one. Maybe there was, you know, some Nicolas Laprovitola trying to box out Vincent Poirier under the baskets. You know, maybe a foul with zero point five seconds, one one sec, one second remaining. But, but I, I'm I'm not sure if you want to decide the game in that way because they already decided, almost decided the game on the free throw line. If if I'm the Adam Silver of the ACB, if I'm Paulus Matunas of the ACB, mm. straight after the game, I'm calling the president or whoever is in charge of referees association in Spain, and I say, guys. I didn't want the final series game three, game two decided. I mean, the last three, except from uh, prior to this Yuri's uh, uh, shot, mm -hmm. three consecutive plays and uh, three situations were decided by referee calls. And the problem is four, I, even four. Even Tav four. Tavares missed two free throws. Okay, wow. That's and then there was three sequences, two of two. And I don't remember, it, it was the sequence with Yasonia making an offensive foul, although I don't see any foul there. And maybe if there was a foul... You don't see a foul there on Hazonia? Like I saw the foul on Hazonia and on Yebusele as well. I mean, it was not foul by Hazonia and Yebusele. It wasn't foul for me. Hazonia uh, against Mirotic? Yeah. That, was, that wasn't basketball, that was just But Mirotic shoving. was already grabbing Hazonia. And okay. you know the, the 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 main thing which I noticed. Uh, okay, from my angle, from my view, oh, that's okay. We can argue. You it know. was not Hezonia's foul because Mirotic already fall down before mm. for Hezonia even before making this push. 
you know? So I just think that Mirotic, Mirotic tried really hard to fall. That was not basketball. That was, like I said, some wrestling, uh, it seemed like. I would have probably on, I, I, I would have, have screenshots. I would have probably called the uh, you know the uh, sorry, I follow on both guys. I want to do Dimitri Satudis thing uh, yeah, right okay. now. Let's go. Let's look go. look look at the screen. Okay. Is there any assistant coach or Aradonas can you come and play clips? Look, this is the situation and look at at both pairs. Mirotic uh, Viviazonia and the, then there's Yabusele and Shanli. And Shanli was doing this thing all the time. And of course, Barca uh, fans will will blame me, uh, blame me now. But I mean... Thanks, Dimitris. Uh, thanks for the assistance of Dimitris. Uh, then there was another situation. The thing with uh, La Provitola. Uh, that was what... That was a smart uh, read by La Provitola. Because you know why? You see that referees, they're calling every foul, basically. And they were down by one, right? Right. And La Provitola knew that even though, even though if he gets an advantage uh, going through Tavares, he knows, he knew that Tavares will block him from behind. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? You just basically, he was so quick that he stepped into the lane of Tavares and it was kind of for sure that Tavares will run into him. So it was just basically of trying to find the contact, which he did with his legs probably, mm -hmm. and got this, you know, a foul whistle. It was just a smart play by La Provitola. There, I wouldn't have called a foul, though. I wouldn't call a foul in neither of these situations because that's... I don't want to decide... This. Oh, the same for, for the defense uh, against Barcelona fans. I think that this Vesely block against uh, Sergio Yui, Sergio Yui also uh, had those free throw shots for, I would say, clean block. And it was also a fifth foul on Vesely. Uh, mm -hmm. But he was uh, playing double team with Abrinas, I think. It was a clear block, no foul, nothing. So to the defense against okay. Barcelona fans, I think that referees ruined the party for, for both teams, uh, which I want to say that uh, I want the game to be decided not on the free throw line, but playing through, you know, physical uh, game mm. with the contacts, and I'm just allowing this kind of contact. True, but yeah, if, if there is too much contact, then some something has to be called... Uh what I wanted to say about something, something about those fouls and, and everything. I mean, you, I, I agree with you in, 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 in to some extent, you know, uh, it was probably one of the best games of the season. Yeah, exactly. Like the quality level of ACB finals is just insane. Like you could see that these two teams are in the final four of the EuroLeague for the last couple of years and just watching, um, uh, the the other domestic league finals, you know, maybe on the same day or the other day, just going through the through the all the games, trying to watch as much as possible. Right now, like Real Madrid against Barcelona is just the the quality is the gap between this final and all the other finals is just is 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 incredible. Like even with the Italian league finals, even with uh, Greek league finals, it's ABBA league finals. You could see that these two teams are in the top of the EuroLeague each year, and there is there is uh, uh, a reason. Uh, Barca scored on all all possessions when they were minus six, seventy two, seventy eight. Okay, they scored fourteen points, I think, and they they scored on every possession. There is like 
Satoransky to free throws, then Mirotic scoring a three-pointer, then Laprovitola in a semi-transition, Shanli making a three-pointer from the corner, even though he was looking away to to make an extra pass. And I was like, no way this is going in because he kind of hesitated. Mm -hmm. He knocks it. So that's four possessions. Um, then they scored two free throws, Mirotic, because of the foul on the rebound. Then they score with La Provitola, two free throws. So that's six possessions straight. They scored the uh, points to end the game. So they needed... They needed some great offense to to win this game too, even though this seemed like going Real Madrid's way. But this is huge, like them going up 2-0. And instead of going 1-1 back to Madrid, I think it's a difference maker in this series. I think this wins the series for Barca. Because I don't really see, you know, we talked about Real Madrid. Uh, don't do that mistake again. Being a uh, oh no, no, no. underestimated Real Madrid. <laughs> this is over two uh, two zero. This you know is you know no, like no, 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 no. they can't. You know come. This has to be the time someone <laughs> is right underestimating Real Madrid. Nope, <laughs> nope, nope. Never underestimate Real Madrid. That's the lesson uh, I've learned. That's the lesson I learned. So you're saying uh, Real Madrid wins this year? No, no, no. I'm, I'm just saying that it's not over yet. No, I'm not saying patient. it's over yet, but I'm saying that you know. Barca will win they this series. This series, yes. Yeah, so, I'm Barca I'm will win this series. A little now. bit more patient without any statements. Why? We are here to, you know, do some hot takes as well. Um, yeah. Anything to add about this game? Uh, I would say. Um, oh, mm, Janan Musa. First two games, only seven points. Okay. Just like, uh, you know, he was kind of a bit disappointing uh, with his play in the final four um, in some games of the playoffs. I think he has scored like seven points in two games, making three shots of 11, uh, not dealing that well with maybe the aggressive defense and maybe trying, sometimes trying to do a bit too much, you know, sometimes. So uh, I just expect from him, next season to you know to add this as a player you know he's still super young guy yeah. so had a great regular season uh was my pick for all all first team euroleague uh so for the next season the improvement would be to handle the pressure better and maybe with the higher physicality level to to perform better but uh i expect him to bounce back in in madrid uh my last take about the particular game before uh, Vesely getting this ridiculous call for the fifth foul. Barcelona's closing lineup for the game was uh, Satransky, La Provitola. Mm -hmm. uh, no, even after that or some place before that, uh, the Bar Barca they were closing the game with Satransky, La Provitola, Kalinic, Mirotic, and Shanli. So, just to tease you. I'm not going to, you know, I'm just I'm going to uh, leave some food for thought. Just to tease you, it's very likely that only one guy of this closing lineup will remain in Barcelona Sato? roster for the next year. Sadoransky? I don't know. You know. I'm just teasing you. Sadoransky. There's very high chance. Okay. So it's some food for thought. There will be so many changes in Barcelona. And starting next week. And starting from the most expensive player in Europe, Nikola Mirotic. And he had 
a lot of questions to answer after the information broke out. First of all, about uh, Milan, him, uh, s let's say, agreeing to to Olympia Milan, which he also denied. And from what we heard, it's not that close yet as it was announced. For sure, Milan is a very likely option for Mirotic. And there's a high chance that he'll end up there, but there's no decision yet, which he also confirmed. Uh, but the, the bigger thing that was... Uh, published in Spanish media was that Barcelona told him that his contract will be terminated, uh, which is true. Uh, just the difference is that as Mirotic revealed later that he was informed about it by the club uh, two or three nights before the start of the ACB playoffs. Uh, so the Playoffs? Yeah, yeah. Or the final? Playoffs okay. against Valencia. Mm -hmm. And what was very unique and rare and the situation where I can hardly find any comparison, let's say, at, on the highest level, yearly Final Four or NBA playoffs. I don't remember a situation where on the eve of the final uh, series against Real Madrid, Mirotic gave an exclusive interview to Mundo Deportivo where he explained all this weird situation with Barca where he kind of, you know, voiced his opinion and, and view that it was not fair by the club to end this, um, you know, uh, cooperation, let's say this way, by saying, hey, Miro, we are terminating your contract, although you have two years left. And the problem that he addressed on this interview, he said that I was, I mean, I was ready to try to, you know, find an agreement to reduce the salary. I was ready to listen to all the options, but the problem was that Barca didn't even offer that. They, they were very straight with their decision. We want to continue without you, Mirotic. And then he had to come out publicly to explain his situation to all the fans. And you have this crazy situation on the eve of the final series. The good thing is that both players, both Coach Jesse they knew about Barca's decision because I think that Mirotic himself uh, informed about it, uh, the whole team. Uh, not to have, you know, any, any, you know, untold things and especially when things might come out uh, publicly during the series or later. So as mm. we saw also from his game, he wasn't affected by that. I mean, the first game after being informed by Barca that he's gone after the season, he scored 27 points against Valencia, hitting seven threes. So it shows how strong mentally he was, although he was facing some Crazy weeks. You have this miserable game against Real Madrid in the semifinals. Now you're being told by the club that you know your cooperation will will finish after the season without getting uh, into uh, any further negotiations. So it was tough to handle, but but he you know showed his great mindset uh, approaching the playoffs. Um, even the in game two against Real Madrid, scoring 25 points, being super important uh, behind that win. But just what do you think about the whole situation in general? Uh, when you were just saying all this, I thought once again, how the players are not protected in my eyes. Like you have a guaranteed deal, which a, te a team gave you, basically you signed on it and a team decided on it. And now they're not standing up to the finan financial commitment. You know, probably he's going to... Uh, he will get some compensation. Some compensation. But it's not like but, he's going to but get it's not 10 going, million in two years. Exactly. But he's not getting that money that he was that he signed up so for. It's supposed to be guaranteed money. It's supposed to be guaranteed. But there's nothing but, guaranteed in but Europe. But in Europe, basically... And, you know, 
Mirotic saying that he would have tried to find a way to extend the deal, maybe by getting less money, mm. tells me Barcelona just decided, okay, after the what we saw in the final four, we don't want this guy anymore on our team. And they can just do that basically without paying all the money that's guaranteed. And I, I, I think that's not how contracts should work mm -hmm. in Europe. Um, Because there's a reason why the player makes a five-year commitment. He chooses your t team because you gave him, you know, you kind of... Uh, the long-term stability. Yeah, exactly. And that's a big factor, big advantage you take into account when you make this decision to go to Barca, to go to Milan, to go to Panavigis, or to go to NBA, mm. whatever. And then after three years, basically in the middle of your agreement, you say, uh, no, we don't want you. So can you find a team and to you know to get a compensation we, we pay you a split a half and you know do your thing it shouldn't work mm. that way it should not and then yeah you might be traded or, or whatever uh you might be waived but you're still getting the all money back so so yeah that's another situation for anybody to step in and to solve that out because it's unfair it's just you ask, yeah, you crazy. ask a commitment from a player and you're not staying fully committed to your, your contract. Mm -hmm. So I don't get it. Not fair. Not fair from player's perspective. I hope this gets solved uh, with the you know players association in the upcoming years. We have this problem every year in Europe that if you're not performing, basically it depends if you're performing or not. But uh, if you're not performing, like, first of all, you signed the contract from how you played last season. Like, mm. so you shouldn't, your money should not be affected by how you played, you know, this year. Yeah. If, if I'm still getting that money, if, if the team signed a long-term long -term deal, teams have to be responsible for, for the contracts they, they give out. So, and I, just that. I feel bad uh, about Mirotic in a way that he gets... I wouldn't call it a blame, a lot of blame, but a lot of criticism, uh, a lot of hate as well, because let's say he's top paid player in Europe, you know, he should perform better in semifinal games, he's choking in the most important uh, games uh, of the season. But it's, it's, at, at the same time, you know, that's if you're blaming the guy for getting mm. 5 million euros, that's actually, I mean, the front office should be bl blamed for give him so much money it's it's you know it's about their decision to you know to to give such a big portion of your budget such a big amount of money uh and not not for the he's not fault that he got this kind of you know uh, financial reward and he didn't change whether he was paid one million or five million he didn't change mm. so it's up to front office to to make responsibility for the moves and you know they should be uh, criticized. If there's, I mean, if you're criticizing anybody in this situation, I'm not criticizing anybody, but if somebody is criticizing, it, the front office should get the most blame and hate, not the player. Mm -hmm. True. That's True. that's how I look at those uh, agreements. That's the discussion we actually had before Jargiris and Rita series. Oh, there, Carlos Lukashunas gets a lot of hate in Lithuania because he's getting paid for, let's say, by Lithuanian standards or or whatever, he's getting paid too much in many eyes. But I mean, what does he have to do with it? It's about front office him giving him that paycheck. Mm, true, it's not his fault. He didn't change. True. So I mean, 
talking about be treated differently. <laughs> talking about changes, we're protecting players a lot. I mean, Elpa should should uh, send us some this, some gifts. This podcast is sponsored. Some by, benefits. No. Yeah. We should be sponsored by Elpa. We're not sponsored <laughs> yet, but we should be sponsored. We should, you know, get some money. Talking ab- talking about changes, there was one more topic we were about to discuss, mm, and okay. which is connected with changes. And uh, you said, "Come to the podcast, prepared free changes for the Euroleague and for the new CEO yeah. Polis Motiunas." So since I did the intro to this topic, you can go first. <laughs> okay, I was talking too too much on the last topic, so I was hoping that you would start. But okay, now if you want me to start, no. I can start. Don't worry. Uh, I will start from from the first change I want. Uh, as a media member from Polis Motiunas, I want let's say Adam Silver approach. If there's this historically infamous fight in Madrid. I want the CEO of the EuroLeague to address the media and the entire basketball community, with players, coaches, front office people, fans, everybody, and to share your views, to share your you know evaluation of the situation. Was the process following the situation? Was the possible outcome of the situation? And just in general, to address this thing with the basketball community because it's a huge mm-hmm. thing. Not some, you know, if, if there's the situation with Fancundo Campasso, I also want, you know, the EuroLeague CEO to address it immediately. I don't want to, you know, to to try to hear what CEO thinks about this whole situation from some... The speculations. Or, or speculation or interview for Spanish media outlets, because if it's not going to be quoted by international media, nobody knows, you know, what's the evaluation of the situation. I mean... It, sh- it shouldn't work this way. And knowing how, I would say, vocal Paul- Paulus Matiunas or knowing his approach on media and let's say the way he handles Jalgiris' financial situation. Before every season, he ho- he uh, hosts press conference where he explains, uh, where he gives a clear uh, financial report of the budget of the previous season and expected and planned budget for the following season. Mm. I mean, with clear lines, players uh, and coaches' salaries, you know, some some other expenses, ticketing and stuff. And uh, it was his, one of the, one of his ideas, you know, how things should be handled here in Lithuania. I think mainly because Žalgir is also sponsored a lot by the municipality. But at the same time, I kind of expect the same level of transparency from him when he mm. uh, stepped into this position. So I have a ho- I have hopes that he will you know uh, he will please me uh, mm. with his uh, mindset over this question. Okay, I will go with the most probably simplest one to start schedule. Mm-hmm. I want Euroleague taking over the schedule department, and uh, I know the deal with the televisions you know kind of disturbs that question. But somehow you have to find a way for a casual fan to watch as much games as possible. And I'm talking about you have two games on Thursday. You have at least two games on every day that EuroLeague is played. You can watch at least two games. So it should be like a 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. CET start, one game, and at least one game on 7, and at least one game at 9, or whatever that time is. You know, The two-hour difference every every day. So you can watch four games out of nine uh, on each round. And you make a playoff schedule 
that is also the same. Like with quarterfinals, basically, you have four pairs and you have two pairs playing on each day. So a casual fan, in theory, should be able to watch all the games. Yeah. You start them by two hour, you know, difference. And a casual fan can watch EuroLeague basketball, all playoff games, be up to date with all pairs, do not have to switch screens. I think that help that would help a lot with the content creation, with the engagement mm -hmm. of the fan. Uh, you know, maybe casual fans that are looking to to the how other teams are playing could be more into the players know more about the players know more about the teams and just it's a simple fix in my eyes and like a simple suggestion but not it not as simple to make i would say because of the you know deals that euroleague has but i just hope some way it, it gets done i think uh, it's all about the new img deal uh which but the new img the deal is until 2026, you yeah. told me, right? That's so the thing. You, so we shouldn't expect differences. I don't for expect next quick changes years. because uh, now the final word is on televisions. And let's say, you know, that's according to the contract. They all look up to what's better for the French TV, for, for the Italian TV, and et cetera. And I, I believe that it might be even impossible for the CEO to change it. But, but I hope. Isn't uh, the games, the home games, the time of home games decided by the teams? Like Jalgers, for example, they play at eight every game. Uh, Is this decided by the team or by the TV? It's team combined with TV, I would say. And basically it's somewhat about the TV. So can the C okay. Because I had this, an official discussion with the Euroleague people and I get it. For in some regions and some locations to schedule the game one hour earlier, let's say instead of eight at seven, it can cause some issues of getting the gym packed, the fans or, you know, uh, getting troubles to get uh, an expected viewership on their local TV. But for instance, when we have the playoffs, it's no longer a local interest. It's no longer about having seven, ga seven games per one night and then trying to please everybody. No, it's impossible. So that's where you focus on, you know, local regions, uh, local markets, but it's a playoff time. Whole Europe is watching. You should not uh, focus only what French, Tel Aviv, uh, Serbian audience want. Mm -hmm. You want, you have to focus on what whole Europe is going to watch and how they are going to handle the schedule because now it's becoming, you know, European thing. And now you have mm. these games uh, streamed on ESPN. I mean, you have to think about it globally. And I believe that these changes won't be possible until they will make a new deal with EMG, IMG or anybody else, it doesn't matter. But you know, the deal will end and expire in 2026, uh, but the new deal will start to be in the makings way earlier. So I hope that Paulus Matiunas, you know, uh, will kick off some, some clear rules on the agreement that is going to be made, mm. or at least he will push for, okay. for a kind of change. No, I'm not sure if it's possible, but I have it uh, also, uh, this whole thing includes in my third uh, request to Paulus Matiunas, which is the new EuroLeague-friendly TV deal, where the EuroLeague has the final word on, on organizing some things, or at least, you know, uh, keeping a veto uh, right in some particular situations. Mm, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah.
and it should be you know the main mm, engine for Euroleague to grow the TV deal one of the main yeah one of the for main. sure for sure for sure uh, for sure they have to make more money than from the current uh, deal exactly so you named already and two, also two uh, to set the standard the standard for the quality of our broadcasts uh, starting from halftime uh, reporters let's say uh, from the content they're creating or the way they're creating the content mm. uh, of course you have to take care of the commentators uh, maybe you, you can push some ideas for you know pre-game uh, studios in, in all regions just to grow the interest uh, just to create content and interest and make it let's say you know uh mandatory to to do something like that would you make it uh let's say those studios you mentioned would you make it in english like like i, I would streamed start on euroleague tv or you make uh, a necessity for a regional tv to have a I, I would start with the necessity for the local markets but then of course i would so think it's harder to do i think could be could be but okay. still, if you want to reach some level, I mean, mm. that's what you have to do. But for sure, the ultimate goal would be some Euroleague TV content. With mm. The hardest part is just to get all those big names or big people. Let's say Charles, Euroleague's Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal, and Kenny Smith on, on, in one studio. Mm. It probably cannot work on, on Zoom. Or at least it should no, be... No. It should be... It should be um, on, this should be made live. Yeah, so it's it's tough to get all those people in, in one place. It's all about the money. That's true. And it's, it's not like Yearly has a lot of money. So that's the issue they have. Okay, so if you don't have money to, to make changes, then one change is not about the money. And that's an obvious one, a playing tournament. Mm -hmm. I expect this to start from next year. Yeah, We are like, already... Uh, too late, at least for one year with this decision, right? I I agree, and I won't even add, I would even add a relegation tournament. Mm. Hear me out. I know, I know there are teams that have a license. Exactly. But that's I thought about it. Okay. What about those teams that don't have a license? The wildcard teams, oh. who are the lowest in the standings. Those two play a series as well you know maybe maybe between the final four and quarterfinals when you have that break they play a best of three series who doesn't get a wild card for next year because usually now how many wild cards are there mm. how many teams are playing with the wild card Part partisan so we have 13 Zvezda. teams shareholders eurocup champions and some situations eurocup uh, runner-up team Let's say it's from four, five, six, four, five, between four and five. So if you have this, because I know that the lowest team cannot play because usually it's uh, an A license team. Uh, if you have this, that would make a regular season much more exciting until the very end. You know, mm -hmm. no, no wild card wants to finish last and don't have a you chance for next do year. do load management tricks. Exactly. Unless you're Villarban and they have the A license. The A license. That, yeah. Okay. But but still, you know, this would make much the regular season, mm -hmm. the end of regular season, much more interesting for a chance to who gets to stay next yeah, year. I see. I see. And uh, for some more stories to yeah. have, yeah, in the second part of the standings. That's a good idea to make things more spicy. Of course, before we have to handle this 
potential the and very parts. likely BSL, BS, BCL and your cup merge. Uh, how are you gonna handle this, you know, whole system of the competition? Way more uh, teams under your umbrella. So, mm. but if you managed, you know, to find the perfect system for the second tier competition, yeah, then mm. you can think of some relegation uh, ideas. I actually had this playing idea involved in the my second request, which is called, a, let's say, clear direction of the competition. Uh, the regular season and the playoffs formats, which includes the play-in tournament, uh, where the expansion will take place first, how many teams will play. Uh, and I expect, I actually expected many of these answers right now, basically, from Marshall Glickman's uh, administration. But that's maybe even one of the biggest issues that yearly uh, shareholders didn't get that clear picture how the competition will evolve in the upcoming years. Mm. And maybe that's the big expectation that Polis Matunas has from the shareholders giving him this, you know, a responsibility of uh, being in charge of the EuroLeague. And at least from what I've heard from Matunas just sharing his thoughts about the EuroLeague, he once said that he real uh, he thinks that the 20 team regular season is the most realistic. Speaking of the potential expansion, he really likes Dubai's market. He doesn't, he's not afraid of those long trips. Uh, he even mentioned interesting thing that there's back-to-back -back games idea alive uh, in case you will have to, you know, uh, uh, to, to, to deal with the scheduling uh, issues. Having two more. games in two days, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Let's Ooh. say one team is visiting Istanbul and you're playing Fener and Efes the following day. Or there's this, you know, fast train between Barca and Madrid if you're staying in this region. So at least there is this idea alive. So a lot of interesting thoughts uh, from Matiuna's side. Not sure how it fits the, the rest of 12. Now it's 13 shareholders because Matiunas will have to... Uh, forget that he he has green blood in his means. So are you saying that potentially we might have a Euroleague team playing uh, on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday in mm, the near future? I'm not sure if if we're talking about triple game weeks, but I've Maybe. just heard that he was aware of this back to back games idea. Okay, and it's not like Matunas will be pushing for it, but the way he said. The way he talked about it, it didn't look like he was like hesitating or he was like very mm. ske uh, skeptical about it. So okay, that's that's interesting thing. But in, just in our role, I want a clear direction by the uh, by the mm. yearly competition. Uh, anything else? When you wrote this message to me, this question, you had the yearly on Netflix idea. Uh, I remember. I remember it. we we talked about this. It's. I'm not sure Netflix would be interesting interested in this, but if you could arrange this that would be awesome like we know the results a lot it, of content yeah we know the results uh, it gave formula one like by the time formula one was like not interested to anyone uh especially to you know my age group like 25 between 34 our age group and uh right now there were 18 races i think by the time the the show came out now we have like 23 or 20 24 this is like the record of races in in formula right now uh the usa market 
that they, they had one race, I think, before the show, and it was about to get eliminated because there were not enough uh, spectators coming. They were not getting enough from tickets. Now they have three races in the in the United States. They have one in Mexico, and so they grew a lot in that mm. uh, market um, as well. And just um, Euroleague on Netflix would be great to f- for the Euroleague. Not sure how much for the viewer, how much uh, the viewers would get into it, but it could be, you know, some potential here. I don't know if it's one of the priorities on Matiuna's agenda. No, definitely not uh, a priority on his agenda. Uh, but. but you know, watching how Jalgiris work. Uh, watching how much stuff they put about their team, they have this Jalgiris uh, inside uh, inside their platform, uh, which you have to subscribe, and another it's another way for the club to to get some money uh, from the fans. I have high expectations that it's really important. The, the content uh, creation is really important for Matayunas, and as I said, I'm not sure if it's like. The third, fifth, ninth, or you know, thirteenth thing on Matiuna's things to do right now with the Euroleague, but and I'm not sure if it's you know it's a for a guy who joined the Euroleague who became the CEO only for a on a one year contract, but I really think that he has it in his mind and he will try to to do something without it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to help to push the Euroleague toward this direction of creating more maybe unique content or creating content differently. Uh, because watching how things work in Jalgis, it feels like it's really important for him. Mm-hmm. And actually put more things which you can expect from Paulus Matiunas and his leadership uh, and the Euroleague uh, under his guidance on an article which is uh, available uh, exclusively only for Beyond Plus members. Mm. So join basketnews.com slash plus, become our members. We have some great offers right now and you will have a lot of extra content, including this article with some few main points about Mm. Paulus Matunas and what ideas he might be bringing to the EuroLeague. Last topic. Last topic. Not not the last topic. We, We missed this question. I actually had this question for you. Before we uh, we'll start, um, let's say teasing for the NBA draft with Victor Vambanyama. Uh, I skipped this question. I forgot about this question I had for you. Again, reading like last week with the rank me top ten free agents for Powell. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I like to to throw you some unexpected things. But what really sur- not kind of really surprised, but what was interesting for me from that Nikola Mirotic interview uh, on Mundo Deportivo was that he mentioned that he thinks that NBA remains as an option for him. He's becoming a free agent. Free agent. There's a very short, short list of potential Euroleague teams that might go after uh, Nikola Mirotic. Like two? <laughs> like, like two. Uh, I wouldn't, again, like with Real Madrid, never underestimate Red Star. They made some crazy signings before. So Mirotic, he... Oh, free team. Mirotic, and I think that Red Star, they're in love with Mirotic. I think that Mirotic also respects Red Star a lot. So I'm I'm not saying that they're real contenders, but when the big free agent hits the market, never understand Servan uh, Vesta. That's what I learned from the last season with okay. Campasso. Okay, okay, okay. But uh, my question is no about, doubt, no the, about the NBA. Do you, I mean, 
Do you see it realistic? Would you see NBA teams going after Mirotic and probably knowing his stock, his, you know, status and at what kind of point of his career he is, he turns 33 in February or January, probably he wants to win the title if he's going there, right? Do mm. you see any title contender team which needs to add some shooting and especially on their front line? Do you see realistic NBA Look, cases like, for Miro? I believe if he if he is available to go there for a minimum contract, I think he would have some market. Uh, shooting is what every basically team needs mm. as much as possible, contending team. And uh, so I can... I can imagine a couple of teams trying to look to add him, uh, you know, in the summer after all the moves are made. There are teams after yesterday's trade, what to what Phoenix did, there are teams that have four players under contract for next year. So if you're willing to sign for a veteran minimum, why not add Mirotic? I mean, he's still, he's more or less the same player that he was when he left the NBA. Um, I don't see him, you know, declining, mm -hmm. you know, as some might say. He was, he's still, to me, he's still a similar player to what he was. And I, I imagine he could, could have market if he's willing to go there for way less money that he could get here in Europe. Yeah. I think that knowing that he turned down, turned down this Utah Jazz offer before joining Barca, and again, being almost turning uh, 33, uh, I think that if he's going to the NBA, he would like to play for a big market team and again, for a title contender team. And probably that's only the question of money. He, I think that he kind of earned enough money or solid amount of money in the NBA. At least there's 41 million of earnings. Of course, he, a lot of goes uh, on taxes, mm -hmm. but still he had some huge contracts in Europe. So I don't think that there's this huge difference for him, you know, at least for the upcoming year. Uh, and okay, m maybe there's difference. If you can cover this, uh, now I'm saying cover because he will need to terminate the contract. He will need to find another team which will have to compensate the rest of the contract which was supposed to, to be in Barca. So the gap might be three, four million uh, euros and that's huge actually. Uh, True, but he, the, the reason he came back was basically he wanted to be the main guy mm -hmm. and now he was the main guy for three years in a row maybe he still thinks you know he wants to achieve to be a to be a, a, a role player on a winning team in the nba so if the money is not a big question if barca is still compensating oh yeah a that's huge a good point. part of his contract he will get a lot of money from barca why not and i i actually think that he might get, let's say, if he will say that, okay, guys, I'm taking this large pay cut by you, but I'm not signing with any other European team for the next season, but I'm going to the NBA. I think that Barca will be willing to pay, you know, him more than in a case where he joins another Euro mm -hmm. team because, okay, you give him 3 million euros, the, the other Euro team gives him 1.5 and you potentially you're killing Barca in the final four and you're basically paid by Barca, not by your new team. That would be a ridiculous situation, right? True. Uh, but if be. you give him 3 million euros and say, or even more, and you mm. say, Miro, you have to go to the NBA, maybe he's accepting this you know, minimum offer from the NBA. Wow, True. we have a solution for Mirotic and Barca. That's amazing. That's an amazing <laughs> podcast, really.
<laughs> uh, last topic about Wenbanyama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when those NBA top NBA draft prospects were tested by, I mean, were tested in NBA workouts, Wenbanyama was tested by one of the top 30 teams in the world, as he said. Mm. Uh -huh. Monaco. By Monaco, yeah. French League champions and the third best EuroLeague team. Yeah. Uh, That's a huge test, right? This season. That's a huge test, I think. Uh, what what lessons he's taking from this, uh, that test? That it's hard to play against grown men and it's much harder <laughs> to play against them than, let's say, NCAA or, or high school that he's kind of supposed to be if he went to the States. Right now, uh, we saw, once again, we saw his insane potential in this series. I mean, some of the shots he makes doesn't really make sense for a guy this tall to be able to make a double between the leg dribble into a step back free. That's unguardable. But at the same time, we saw him used as a off-ball player also a lot because he can handle smaller players being glued to him and just pushing his base and he's he loses his uh balance he loses his uh let's say ability to drive to the rim because he just falls not towards the rim but you know mm. out of bounds let's say on some drives and uh at the same time seeing the defense like this physical defense against him by smaller players i imagine that the nba and the hand checking rule uh, will help him a lot because now you see guys checking him, hand checking him all the time. In the NBA, you can't really do that. You can't push the guy that much as some of these Mon Monaco players were doing in the finals. So I think in the NBA, the rules will help him a, a bit more already in the first year. And um, I'm not sure if the NBA teams immediately try to put smaller defenders on him because they see that you know you can push him push him away and 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 limit his impact on the court but at the same time the stuff he does right now already at 19 years old on the court is is something we probably never seen before with his height and i just can't wait really can't wait to finally see him after a season he had here can't wait to see him maybe in the summer league maybe in the world cup yeah. because vincent collet said that it would be great for him to play for France, even though I really doubt that the NBA San Antonio, <laughs> San Antonio will allow him to do that. Yeah, but the thing is that he's a baller. He wants to play in every competition. But I, I, I think sometimes it's not only a player's decision mm -hmm. when the talk is about the, should you come yeah, to the national there team are or not? NBA recommendations not to play somewhere. Uh, I mean, him playing in the World Cup would be a huge thing for FIBA because, you know, there's this Jokic thing where it's very uncertain if he will play in the FIBA World Cup. I mean, Yanis, was he already fully committed to playing for the national team? I didn't hear that. I kind of have no doubts about Luka because for, for him, Slovenia national team is like, you know, holiday mm. trip for him, you know, just spending time with his friends and playing basketball. Uh, smoking shisha, drinking some beer, and winning some titles. You know, that's that's how it goes for for Luca. It's his summer, so I kind of expect him to play. But if if let's say Jokic, Yanis is not playing, and Vembanyama is not playing, that's that's bad for the competition. But vice versa, if let's say Vembanyama plays, that changed the whole thing actually, and especially mm. in the 
in the group, I don't remember where they're playing. Is it in Indonesia or probably not Japan? But it would, you know, sure. it would be extra. Uh, because France, even with Rudy Gobert, with Evan Fournier, with all these stars, I mean, I see the numbers. They're not so popular at all. They're one of the least popular uh, teams, at least internationally, uh, the least followed teams internationally. But Vembanyama, he would change things. And there's this huge attention from, from the NBA. There's Greg Popovich praying that he's, he's not getting injured in the competition. So that would add uh, a lot of uh, value, but... Uh, I just don't see San Antonio risking it. Yeah. Like you have a guy that's this tall and all of a sudden he's the first pick and right before his rookie campaign, he's playing the World Cup, doing all the preparation and stuff. And he's if, if he's playing in the summer league, probably he's going to play like one or two games maybe. Mm -hmm. Like we saw with Paolo Banquero last yeah. year playing... What, They're just selling tickets. One game giving fans what they want and they're just shutting down guys, yeah. which I understand from the NBA perspective. So you just don't want him to get injured and with his Benbanyama's height, th there's always a question mark about that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't really see how San Antonio says, okay, he's playing in the early September in the World Cup right before his rookie season because you don't want another Chad Holmgren story. Mm -hmm. Like even though Chad Holmgren was just, you know, practicing while he got injured uh, playing pickup games you don't you don't want uh, to have even more risk with Bambayama yeah yeah speaking of the french final series john brown did a really great job containing him i i watched the almost entire game 1 where he didn't let him to basically shoot the field goal or force him to shoot some crazy shots and i i watched the last minutes of the game 3 where monaco won this amazing game in an amazing crowd of 15000 people mm. Uh, where the Roland Garros tournament is, is held. And it was amazing atmosphere. It's just amazing to see, you know, French basketball attracting such an audience uh, out there in, in Paris. Uh, but in the last three, four, five minutes, he barely get a touch, I mm -hmm. would say. And that's what probably we won't see in, in, in the NBA. I mean, we can expect him to get way more touches. Uh, so he will be even more involved, although he managed to, to recover after this game one. He scored 19 and then 22 in the following games. But uh, but yeah, that was a tough test. And I love Jordan Lloyd's three-pointers in the end. The three-pointer from Logo basically clinched the title for Monaco, the historically first uh, title, uh, French League title for, for Monaco Club. Uh, I love the tweet of Jordan Lloyd I was about after to the game. That. Uh, only one ball was needed and there was Mike James, Elio Koba and Jordan Lloyd in the picture. It was a great response. Uh, I love players tweeting after championships. The same like Will Clyburn. Uh, after, yeah, after the final game, he tweeted, Hey Fenner fans, how are you doing tonight? My knee is doing great. Thanks for the positive thoughts. Elijah Bryant, what's good? Where are we at? So, so actually, I expected from him something after the semifinal series against Fenerbahce, mm. but it's obvious that he kept some some. He wanted to make sure he wins, the, he wins the title. Yeah, 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 yeah. True. So yeah, very interesting season finale. I will miss these guys. Did you see Mike James' uh, response to Will? Okay, I see I you see getting a, a Mike master's James degree. Schools of social media. Yeah. So we so what's left? Able League. We Syria. might have this watch party tomorrow at Augusta's. Uh, we should do. 
there are two games that you can watch. Yeah. yeah. Not like Euroleague quarterfinals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, will we be back for one more? I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not, I'm not sure about see. this week. Maybe the following week. I just got the voice message, message from Eric. Uh, just ask him his availability after mm. finishing the Turkish League final series because I also want to get him involved before we will do a yes. short summer break. He will probably have a lot of stories to tell after yeah. a season like this. And I hope he will help us to bring Will Clyburn, Mike James, or anybody else uh, on the podcast. I don't know. After you picking Mo uh, Maccabi to win that quarterfinal series, you ah. might have a tough time We're doing good that. with Mike. We're good with Mike. Okay. Not sure how it goes with Will, who said that it was the last time he's participating in, participating in the podcast. But after winning the title, he might be way more relaxed. Might be cool with that. Yeah. Thanks for watching a lot. It's great to cover domestic league finals as well. Let's wish we will talk about basketball from the beginning to the end of the podcast, not about the things that are going outside mm. the court. Uh, and yeah, follow us on basketnews.com. Uh, please press like button below this video. Also subscribe our channel. Enjoy Beyond Plus community because uh, there's a lot of off-season stuff. There are a lot of um, articles that exclusively only for Beyond Plus members where we will explain a lot of free agency movements or let's say the uh, introduction of uh, new EuroLeague CEO, Paulus Matiunas, and a lot, of, a lot of other things that will follow this summer. Thank you all for watching. Enjoy the summer and enjoy the domestic league finals.